OWC Radio number 41, an interview with Carbon Copy Cloner's creator, Mike Bombick. Stay tuned. And it is the 41st episode of the weekly OWC Radio. My name is Tim Robertson, the host, and we've got an interview today. And as you know, with interviews, we always do our five questions, the this or that, if you will. This is a special guest for me. It's a product that I use every single day. His name is Mike Bombick. Hi, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Carbon Copy Cloner, man. It's the one piece of software, probably more than any other, that follows me on every single Mac I own, and you are the creator. Yeah. yeah. How long has Carbon Copy Cloner, I know I got it in 2001, that's the first time I used it. When did the application first come out? <laughs> it actually came out in 2002, but it was 2000? I thought it was 2001, to be honest. It, yeah, it was like January 8th of 2002 or January 18th, something like that, so it was really, really early in, in 2002. Then that's probably what I was thinking. I remember uh, finding it on Version Tracker. Yeah, and you know that's my my first memory of it. I remember um, sitting in my in my office and posting it to Version Tracker, and I swear every time I post an update, it felt like surely somebody out there was going to create an application just like this because there wasn't anything out there for Mac <laughs> no, OS X that did it. It was horrible at the beginning was, of Mac OS X. There was no backup solution. Yeah, so I'm I'm hovering my finger over the submit bu- button, thinking you know this could flop or or. You know, who knows what will happen. I was going to, yeah, I was hoping for like 100 downloads. And the first day, I think there were like 10,000, wow. 11,000. And I was I was just shocked and, and pleased. But, yeah, my, my first memory is, is posting it to Version Tracker. I remember finding it. I Actually, I remember posting a question, I think, on Apple's discussion blog or um, blog. What is it called? The, um, yeah. It, it, I just could not figure out what application to use to back up my Mac OS X. And it was, you know, very early in Mac OS X days. And the only viable solution that I found, someone said, check out Carbon Copy Cloner on Version Tracker. And I remember downloading it, backing up my entire hard drive to an external hard drive, a a FireWire 400 drive, and it actually worked. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and it's funny because in, in the very early days of Mac OS X, there was this myth that you couldn't even do it. I mean, with Mac OS 9, you would just drag your system folder over to another hard drive and it would and work. Yep. It worked magically. But with Mac OS 10, you try to do that and, and nothing worked at all. And, and there were a lot of people that believed that it just couldn't happen, that the only way you could, you could boot Mac OS 10 is if you installed it from the installer. A lot of people so, thought that that was a security measure on Apple's part. I yeah. remember that was the big controversy. Apple did this so you can't clone your system, your upgrade to another machine. Exactly. So I, I set out to disprove it. I couldn't believe that that would be the case. And I was working in education at the time. So one of the big concerns in education is, is mass deployment. How do you get one master system cloned out to a whole bunch of systems? So that's, that's kind of what I had developed it for originally. I could tell you I was an IT manager um, at the Kellogg Corporation, actually, uh, a vendor, but I was in their headquarters. And mass deployment of softwares, of course, is always a headache. 
but it really is a headache when you're trying to figure out how to back up 50 different Macs roughly at the same time right. over the network. And there was no tools for that at all at the beginning. Yeah. So how did you get started in writing software? What's the genesis of you as a developer? Sure. I, I actually started out in grad school writing Apple scripts. And I remember when I, I first got to grad school, that's when I purchased one of the new Bondi Blue iMacs. And we had a graduate student computer lab that, that kind of sat in disarray all the time. And being a neat freak, I decided that I was going to take it over and get all the software updated and, and make it usable and reliable. So I ended up using AppleScript for a lot of that. Um, I wrote some scripts that would run in the background, and I had a lot of fun with it. Some of the stuff more prank-related than <laughs> management-related. <laughs> but um, I, I discovered early on I was actually doing... Uh, my master's in biology in aquatic ecology, which I love wow. to this day. But um, I realized that I could get so much more gratification uh, by sitting down and, and for 15 minutes banging out a little script than I could spending a whole year on research that, you know, ended up flopping. And plus with research, you got to find funding. And I mean, that's that's a difficult lifestyle. Yeah. So I, I started out with AppleScript and then... I, I remember very vividly um, September 13th, 2000, when that Mac OS X public beta arrived at my door. I remember it well. <laughs> it, was, it was a happy day, but I, I remember right then and there I decided if, if Apple was going to Unix, I needed, I needed to be the master of Unix. So I, I started getting into to some shell scripting um, in addition to AppleScript. And then it was kind of the combination of the two that uh, that became the, f the first incarnation of Carbon Copy Cloner. You can do a lot more with scripting under Unix than you can with the Mac OS, especially in the beta periods. Yeah. I mean, so, that's where all the tools were. Exactly, exactly. If you wanted to, to do some really hardcore stuff, you'd, you'd get under the, under the hood and, and start tweaking stuff. So I actually uh, wrote the first version of Carbon Copy Cloner in AppleScript Studio which was basically a combination of shell scripting, Apple script, and... And you could slap a GUI on top of it. An Xcode project. Yeah, exactly. And it, it was a, a wonderful feeling to, to think, with just some Apple script skills, I can build this real application. And it, it worked great for, for several years. Um, but I eventually, actually very quickly, found the limits of Apple script for that kind of application. And it, it was kind of funny. I remember reading in the developer documentation that AppleScript Studio was not intended for that kind of application. And I just kind of, I was like, eh, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway, because I can. Absolutely. And, and I did find the limits, but I also remember having a little chat with um, Sal Sagoyan at the uh, the developer conference. Yeah. Um, probably in 2003 or four. And I thanked him for AppleScript Studio because it, it allowed me to build this application that was so useful to so many people. And he turned around and thanked me for building an application that, that so prominently uh, showed off what you could do with, with AppleScript and Xcode. Because you really captured the entire market when it came to cloning one drive to another. I mean, yeah. even to this day, it, it's 2010. Your software has yeah. been out there for eight years and it, I I don't know of another 
There's a couple other backup so- solutions at this point, but really, when people talk about backing up Mac OS X to an external drive, I know Apple has Time Machine, but that's that's really a different beast than what you're doing. Yeah. I want a straight copy of my drive every night on this other drive, and that's yeah. Carbon Copy and Cloner. The the primary difference being that, you know, if your hard drive fails, what do you do? Do you do you boot up your backup and and meet your production deadline, or do you go out and buy a new hard drive and go through a recovery process Ugh. at that very moment before you get access to your data? Yeah, and that's, that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, being a person that's you know had a deadline or two in his life, oh. um, it's it's not something. It, Murphy's law, that stuff happens in the worst possible timing. Yep, absolutely. So I like having a bootable backup. So you went with uh, Apple Script Studio, but eventually looking at the software now, um, I've, I'm going to guess that it's maybe Objective-C at this point? Yeah, about five years ago, I I rewrote the entire thing. So you had to learn, you had to teach yourself Objective-C. I mean, because it's a totally different beast than Apple Script. It is, but you know, I, I actually took a, a, a few programming classes in college and grad school, and Pascal helped, huh? <laughs> <not Pascal. laughs> I actually took C plus plus, but it, it was the familiarity with Xcode that was probably the the biggest learning curve for me, um, and and being able to get into Xcode and to expose myself. Um, to that enormous application. I mean, it's like Final Cut Pro right. is to a video person. This is what it is for development. There's and, so much there that you can't possibly wrap your head around it immediately. Right, but being familiar with AppleScript allowed me to to focus on just the parts that were unique to Xcode. And once I really mastered Xcode, learning Objective-C, which I was actually able to, to do bit by bit, um, and, and incorporate into my AppleScript application. Um, it was a lot easier than I thought it would be. And in retrospect, I, I kind of, w- especially back in grad school when I had lots and lots of time, Yes. I wish I had just taken the plunge and done Objective-C instead of, of AppleScript because I, I just don't think the learning curve is, is that steep. It's certainly... Um, it, it's kind of this scary just jumping into to something like that you, you know you think programming it's it's really hard it scares but, the crap out of me i could tell you that yeah and you know if you just how do you eat an elephant you take one bite at a time yeah that's and true it was absolutely the same way with uh learning objective c so was, now i love it what was version three the first version with that was completely rewritten yeah okay because i was gonna say I, I noticed a huge just everything felt snappier and I don't want to say cleaner, but it just seemed like a different program. It seemed like the same program, but better. And I didn't know what the difference was at the time. I was like, I don't know why this is so much better. It's just a new version, I guess, but it's more responsive. It's just It just works. Yeah, and I guess the other thing is probably that the very first version of CCC, um, I didn't put a lot of thought into the interface and, and how everything functioned usability, things like that. It, it was all about the functionality that it provided. Um, but with version 3, I, I literally went back to the drawing board and, and sketched out an interface in a notebook. And <laughs> Do you still have about, that notebook? 
I probably do bury it somewhere. I you should, you got to keep that stuff because you're that's really going to be valuable to you one day. Yeah, you probably. Uh huh. So I, I and, and there was, you know, there was some competition in the marketplace at that time. It was actually right around 2005 or six that that I really started rewriting it. And I had probably gotten halfway through it when when Time Machine came out, mm-hmm. and I almost thought, you know, what? No what one's going to use Carbon Copy Cloner now. Time exactly, Machine's there. Yeah. It's built into the OS. Right. And how do you even compete with that? And after a year or two, I mean, Time Machine definitely has its place. I'm not going to. Oh, I use both. I, I got to be honest. I use a time capsule, and that's what my time capsule backs up to, or a time machine backs up to. But that's mm-hmm. only if I need a specific file quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, and whereas Carbon Copy Cloner is doing the entire drive, it's just recording the changes on a day to day basis at this point. But that's the drive that I go to if my internal hard drive just dies. Right. I'm going to be able to pull my carbon copy cloner out and boot from it. No problem. But yeah. I'm not going to do that with Time Machine. Time Machine is, crap, I just deleted my entire iTunes playlists, and I need them back right now. That's right. where Time Machine comes in handy. Yeah. And I actually use CCC for both. Um, I mean, I've got incremental backup support built into CCC as well. And I'm hitting my backups probably on a daily basis just because I, I want to look at a previous revision of a file or, or something like that. You know, Mac users are very forgiving when it comes to freeware, shareware, as far as stability. Uh, well, it's it's only a $10 shareware program, and it crashes a little often, but yeah, it's only a $10 shareware program. I'll forgive it for that. You don't have that option as the author of Carbon Copy Cloner. You can't have backup software failing. Uh, how much pressure do you put on yourself because of that? A lot. Yeah. Actually, that's that's my number one priority is that it is a reliable backup. And I, I go to extreme lengths to make sure that, you know, when I say something's backed up, that it's backed up 100%. All of the file system metadata for that file is backed up. Well, you know, we all live in our computers nowadays, it seems. Our pictures are there. Our movies are there. Yeah. Uh, important documents, and we have to have, I, you know, I, on this uh, OWC radio podcast, I've been hitting hard, get an external hard drive, start backing up your data, because if you only have it in one location, you don't have it. Yeah. And exactly. we actually offer at OWC uh, the, the utility software bundle, and Carbon Copy Cloner is a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a relationship with OWC for really the past uh, at least nine years. It uh, or past eight years. Well, it makes sense. I mean, you're making, I consider, the best software when it comes to backing up your machine. I don't say that just because you're on the show. <laughs> I, I, I Honestly, I don't because I use your software. Um, and it's not even a price comparison thing. I just, I like a simple interface. I like to be able to schedule it when I want it to happen. And I know it's just going to go. It's just going to happen. I don't have to worry about it. Your software has been, at least for me, I can't speak for everyone, but since the first version I've used, it's always been very reliable. Yeah. So it and only makes sense that a hardware vendor like OWC that sells the solution as far as hard drives go, well, you need software to go along with that. Right. Yeah, that's definitely been my number one priority over the years. And and frankly, as a as a shareware developer your reputation is really all you've got especially when it comes to backup i mean it it would take very few incidents of 
you know, so-and-so ran this and it completely wiped out their hard drive. Yeah, and, you uh, wouldn't have very many customers after a very short amount of time. Right, right. So that's that's something I take very seriously. And, and I every once in a while I'll get a story where somebody had, you know, chosen the wrong destination drive and they wiped it out and it, <laughs> and it takes literally seconds yep. to do that. And, and you I go, oops. absolutely hate those stories. And I've I've put a lot of work over the years into uh, developing the you know the last chance dialogue that says, hey, "Are you sure?" <laughs> yeah. So you'll notice, like in the more recent versions, there's actually a a very prominent dialogue with the yellow and black caution striping. Well, you know what I like about um, carbon copy cloners? The first time you launch it, especially for new users, the very first thing they see is a message that says, "Hey, do you want to look at?" the quick start guide mm-hmm. and that's important and not a lot of software titles do that they just drop you right into the user interface good luck, and buddy. assume that you know what to do now i've been doing this for you know a good long time so i can get around in almost every application but you know my aunt dar who i've told hey use this software to back up to this hard drive that you bought that's very daunting for her so yeah. I wish more developers would take that tech. Give us a quick start guide right at the first time you launch it and say, hey, do you want to learn a little bit more about the program before you delve in? And so you're to be commended for that. I appreciated it. That was great. Thanks. In fact, I'm actually um, planning on expanding on that quite a bit. My documentation is is very extensive and thorough, um, but some of the things that it's lacking is, is step-by-step instructions. That takes and time, definitely. It does. And one of the things that, that I'm actually planning on doing in the next uh, month or two is developing some videos. Oh, really? It. Yeah. Now, would it just and be call-up, so if you click a button, it'll launch a web page to watch the video? Um, I haven't decided, but it, it would probably play directly within the documentation for CCC. Now, I think whether it's – it probably wouldn't be distributed with CCC. That would be – that'd kill my bandwidth. <laughs> um, but – yeah. I, I, I can certainly embed it into the documentation, and uh, and and that that first dialogue that you see when you launch CCC, I'm planning on expanding that. And, and CCC uh, is what like f- four megabytes when you download it. I mean, it's uh, so small. Three point two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I you know you start adding videos to that, it's like oh that's going to get there pretty quick. But in today's day and age, do you see that as a problem? I personally don't. As someone who published a digital magazine, and if I went over one megabyte in 1996, I would get just furious emails. <laughs> but nowadays, I mean, 3.6, I blink and I've downloaded that. This, yeah. sh- this show right now, we've, we've been talking for 18 minutes. We're, we're well over 3.6 megabytes. Yeah, I don't have – I've never received a complaint from anyone over the size of the distribution. It's, it's 100% you know, my bandwidth cost that, that I have to cover and – you know, I, I could easily see 100,000 downloads in the first couple of days of a release. So 3.8 times 100,000. It know, starts, we're talking yeah. a lot of bandwidth. So it's something that I take very seriously every time I put in a new graphic into the application or a, a new HTML file. Um, it, it's something I think about. But, yeah, the, the users, meh. I have to download an 11 meg app. <laughs> it takes me what you know, 17 seconds. If that, yeah. So yeah. Nowadays, it's it's not. Um, I, we did get a question on the Twitter, and this is from at AMC Podcast, and they said, uh, "Ask this for me." There was a rumor that Apple hired him 
after he figured out how to deploy NetBoot better than Apple. True? <laughs> uh, I would say that's that's probably not true. Um, I, I I stopped working for Apple a while ago um, for for various reasons, but mostly I wanted to pursue development. Uh, but when I did first join Apple, um, I, I had a kind of a, a naive attitude towards being able to to change things. And yeah. one of the things that I did want to do was improve the the end user experience in an education lab. And I share this anecdote sometimes. I was uh, at a university, and a, a couple freshman girls came up to uh, our vendor table and proceeded to, to basically insult me and the company. <laughs> wow. And add injury to it when she's put her hand on my shoulder and said, well, good luck today. Um, but the, the gist of... And I the, married that girl. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> See, that would have been the perfect ending to that story. <laughs> yeah. And well, 12 months later, we were married. <laughs> the gist of, of their concern, though, was that the Macs in the labs sucked. And that was, that was probably true because at the time, the system administrators had absolutely no tools for mm-hmm. deploying Macs. So... It's not that that Apple didn't know Netboot. They absolutely do, and their engineers are second to none. And I've worked with some some very good engineers over the years. Um, the only thing that was lacking was was time. I mean, Apple's a big company. Can't you know, do everything. There's a 12 to 18 month product cycle, so they're not going to deliver X Y Z at the drop of a hat. And that's that's a good thing because they develop consumer products, and developing at the drop of the hat comes with caveats. Yes, absolutely. Maybe it's not going to have the best interface. System administrators are certainly a lot more forgiving, especially when the tool meets their needs. So I I certainly did not have a leg up on anybody at Apple, um, to say the least. Now, did you approach Apple about a job, or did they come to you? Kind of both. Yeah. Um, I was working at Bowling Bowling Green State University, and I was looking for a change. I had been working in uh, uh, tech support for about two years. And I had been having discussions with the, uh, the account executive and systems engineer at the time. And they knew of some positions open. And uh, after creating Carbon Copy Cloner, it was surprisingly easy to get an interview. Well, yeah. I mean, your software is deployed on how many Macs out there? I mean, do you even have a figure on how many people are using Carbon Copy Cloner? You know, it's really hard to tell. Um, I would say probably, what, 10 million? Are you in that range? I would think so. I, I wish I could have any number at all that that I could, could stand behind, but, I mean, I don't. I, I can see the number of downloads. Yeah, but that's a microcosm compared to how many people exactly. pass it through, especially at, you know, less than four megabytes. People are emailing it to each other. Right. You know, there's... Um, I know for a fact it's been deployed on servers at different places that I've worked where yeah. just download it from the server here. So there's no way you can track unless you build, build that into the software, but then you're going to start getting people angry at you. Yeah. How many people are using your software? Yeah, um, I, have you ever been surprised by where you found out it was being used? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been used everywhere There, there's a Mac. I mean, I, I can't even remember some of the countries that – that I got feedback from in the early days. I know Qatar 
was in there. Um, just crazy off the wall places. Oh, I know exactly um, what that's like. Um, doing a podcast, you, you're kind of insular. You, you, it's at least for me. I'm sitting here by myself, and even when I was doing the MyMac show, most of the time my co-hosts were, you know, it's all done via Skype. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first started the podcast, uh, I got an email. The next morning I woke up, I had an email from the show I had just released the night before. And someone in London had already listened to the show and was sending me email while I was sleeping. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of, wow, people are listening to me. And, yeah, it does. So a piece of software like yours, which is so popular um, for a good reason, I, I, I got to imagine that's just humbling sometimes. It is. And, I mean, I, I felt like I gained lots of weird fame Yeah. I but when I started developing some of the deployment solutions, and it, it was always awkward for me. Like I'd go to the developer conference, where I typically felt out of my league, and people asked for my autograph. Oh yeah, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah, which is funny. I mean, if you think about the amount of time that the solution saves a system administrator, oh, um, it's huge. I mean, I developed it for myself originally, and it saved me lots of time. So yeah. it's. You know, obviously, you could be very appreciative of time saved. Well, coming so. from the IT background myself, you know, if there's a tool out there that can literally save me a day's worth of work, mm-hmm. I love that software. Yes. Uh, now, why did you go with the the freeware slash shareware model that you've gone with? You know, it's a funny story. When I first released CCC, I was adamant about making it free and not accepting any money for it. I remember those naive thoughts myself back in the day when I was young. Yeah, it, it, was, <laughs> it was my wife that, that said, you know, you're taking time away from me. You're getting a PayPal account, and you're going to accept the money that people give to you. Yeah, well, and the flip side of that is, and this took me a long time to uh, really grasp as well, when people find something useful, they want to pay you for it, uh, not out of a sense of, hey, he's a nice guy and he wrote this for me, but because there's a value to that. And the only way that we can really assign value to something in today's society really is to pay for it. Right. So right. when you don't allow them to pay for it, a lot of people, and me included at some, at, you know, to some degree, I feel strange about not being able to contribute to the guy who literally saved me a day's worth of work every week. Exactly. So, I, yeah, I, can, I totally get where you were at the beginning, but you got to eat, right? Yeah, and over the years, I've I've made tweaks here and there, and it's it's still donation work for now. I I actually have um, plans for for making it commercial with a, a very nice evaluation period. And now, is that, are um, you going to take that to market yourself, or are you going to work with another company? Right now, I'm I'm planning to do it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I feel like I've built up a lot of experience over the years, and. It's it's. I don't think it's going to be too much different from what I'm doing uh, right now. I've just got some some back end changes to make, but I'm not going to do it until I've I've come up with an, a new version. With so you're going to have more like a a pro version that's twenty nine ninety nine in retail or thirty nine whatever it's going to be, and then the light what we basically have now version, which is free slash donationware online. I don't know if it's going to be like that. Um, it's actually, I'm going to have to figure out once I've developed it where it makes sense to draw the line. 
I think that there's a lot of people that, that download it for, for basic cloning, moving from a smaller hard drive to a larger hard drive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's definitely value there, but would you pay 30 bucks for a tool that, that just did that and that's all you used it for? I don't know. And no, it's, it's but, kind of been a challenge over the years thinking about what the value of the software is. I mean, so an enterprise solution? Not no 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 not enterprise. Um, I'm I'm definitely not looking at, at catering to enterprise. Um, more to the end user. Gotcha. But you know, there's a lot of functionality that that you know the the basic cloning type of person isn't going to use. There there's backups, scheduled backups. Um, you know, incremental backups, backups to disk image, backup to a remote Macintosh. I think a lot of people would use that with a little bit more education. Exactly. And so, that's where the problem is. I don't know how you could address that. And that's or even a company, question. yeah, and even a company like uh, Otherworld Computing, they spend a lot of money trying to educate the, the people who are buying the products how to use them and why you really need a backup solution that does incremental and you could schedule it for 2 a.m. So, you know. Right. Uh, but it, there's still just a huge lack of knowledge on the everyday user out there. And I don't think any one company can really solve that. No, they can't. And there's definitely a lot of, of meeting with individual people and, and trying to figure out what they want or what they think they want and then trying to, to build the product that's going to best meet their needs. How so much, that's, that's what I'm, I'm certainly focusing on for version 4. How much user feedback... Um, are you getting that you kind of put together a to-do list? This is what everyone's asking for. I want to build this into the next system. Yeah, every single suggestion that people send me goes into a, a to-do list for consideration. And a lot of the stuff that I get is actually the, the same kind of stuff that I am already planning to uh, to implement. Okay, I'm I mean, going to throw one out there right now for you. Sure. <laughs> and I know you've heard this a 100 times already, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways because... The listeners of the podcast are probably thinking the same thing. Right now, it only backs up uh, HFS Plus. And, of course, on my MacBook Pro here, I've also got a boot camp volume. I can't back that up using your software. Right. A solution that would allow me to back up both, even if it's to two different destinations, that would be fine, preferably one. But how would you handle something like that with uh, CCC? Yeah, and that's like my probably number two FAQ. Yeah. Um, well, okay. You got to give me the number one first, then. Well, the number one first I posted today, and that's um, what factors affect my backup performance. Why does it take so long? Is something that I get a lot. Yeah. But the the boot camp thing, it's something that I, I actually have cloned boot camp um, partitions in the past with uh, some other software that I've developed um, for different purposes for for mass deployment within education. Um, it's not trivial. And the, the reason that it, if, if all you needed to do was back up your data, that's something that I could do relatively quickly. But each volume has to be bootable. If you want your bootcamp volume to be bootable, and I don't know why you wouldn't want it to be bootable, there's a lot more effort involved. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's very technical things like the, uh, the start sector for the NTFS volume. You have to record that in the master boot record, and you have to sync up the master boot record to the the GPT partition table. And there's a a slice number, a partition slice number, that uh, has to be recorded to the boot.ini file, but not for Windows 7, only for Windows XP. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of really tricky things that you know for for making macOS 10 bootable. There's not nearly as many 
tricks involved, but they're in there and I've handled them for years. Right. For for Windows though, it's a different beast. It's moving and it varies across hardware. So it's it's certainly a lot trickier to handle. It is something that I would like to uh to address, but having looked at my um my ideas for the next major version of CCC, I I don't know that it's going to make the cut. I understand. Um, How does uh, CCC work with um, something like Parallels? Just fine. Um, the one thing that people need to consider for, for Parallels and VMware or right. VirtualBox from Sun, um, these are all basically the same. They, they put your entire Windows installation into a single file. Uh, the one thing that trips people up, though, is if they've got Windows running while they're backing up, that file is changing, and it's a huge file. So it may take a couple minutes to back it up, and if you make a change to it, the backup's probably corrupt. So we recommend that, that you turn off your, your virtual machine while you back up that file. The other problem is that you know it's a 10-gig file or a 50-gig file. Right, and you make one small change, and it has to back up the entire file again. Copies up the entire file. Yeah, yeah. and it eats up. I, I've noticed that in the past myself. But so there's really nothing you can't really do anything about that. Right. If if you're storing versions of your, your installation, Oof. then it's gonna grow very quickly. What I'm actually thinking of doing is is handling large files a little bit differently and giving some UI, you know, do you want to keep versions of files over five gigs, for example. That makes sense. Yeah, so you can keep versions of your smaller files, your office documents or whatever, but the gigantic files, we're going to handle them a little bit more intelligently. Yeah, you don't need to do an incremental backup of this one every day because right. you're going to have so many versions that it's going to fill up your external hard drive in, like, no time at all. Yeah. Uh, before I forget, by the way, there is one preference file um, or setting in a Carbon Copy Cloner that has to be changed. And it says, okay, what's that? It says wait for iPods-iTunes... Uh, sync to complete before copying data you got to change that ipod it's got to be ipod ipad iphone (laughs) i mean at this point i mean most people aren't buying ipods anymore they're they're buying iphones so here's actually why the feature is going to get dropped and it, it wouldn't be applicable to iphone or ipad or anything like that because you can't back up to those devices right it's only applicable to a FireWire or USB-based iPod that can that that has a disk mode where you can actually mount the disk on your desktop and back up to that. Oh, and so that was more for if I'm using my iPod to as an archive device. Right. Okay. And nobody's see, really doing that anymore. No. So. No, I remember when I tried it a few times. I remember putting Linux on my iPod. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> you get the co- penguin to boot, and you're like, oh, look, I can see the penguin. And then about five minutes later, you go, well, what All was right. the point? It's a click wheel. Because um, you can. Because <laughs> you can. <laughs> Oi, we're showing yeah, our geek so, colors, aren't we? Yeah. That's something that it's just taking up space now. I've got some some other things that I'd like to put in. I and I'm thought actually, it was there because you didn't want to archive anything if one of those devices, iPod, iPhone, whatever, is syncing because it might corrupt the backup. That's what I thought that that setting was for. Oh, no, not at all. It's strictly competition. Gotcha. Um, you know, I don't any any time you've got the hard drive seeking and, and doing other things, especially with the spinning platter-based iPods, um, 
it, it would slow down the syncing and it would slow down the backup. So if if you've got an iPod, my position was always that, you know, first it's your music device, and I don't want to interfere with that. So right. I had that checkbox in there so that you could prioritize syncing over the backup features. One of the uh, backup features is remote back or um, ugh, remote Mac backup target or source. So in other words, you can back up to or from uh, another Mac on your network. Um, right. A lot of people probably don't know that. I think if they knew that, it would be a good solution for quite a few people, especially with multiple Macs in your household. If you've got a huge permanent FireWire hard drive on your iMac and you want to back up your MacBook Pro, you can do that using Carbon Copy Cloner. Yeah, and this is something that I, I kind of want to toot my horn on because a lot of people don't realize that my backup to a remote Mac performance is literally at least twice as fast as backing up to a disk image on a network file share, which is what some of the other backup solutions right. provide. Um, and I actually spent a lot of time um, this past week writing an article uh, within my documentation that kind of demonstrates that and shows you the various backup options and what uh, what the performance you could expect out of each one of them to be. Are you using rsync to do that? Yeah. Yeah, I actually use my own build of rsync. Um, a lot of my development time goes into rsync and, and tweaking it for Mac OS X. Um, but that's, you know, it's it's an awesome, awesome tool. It's actually the fastest copying tool that that I've been able to find. Over a network? Uh, over a network or locally. Um, really? It's faster yes, than... I consistently get very, very good performance with it. Wow. Uh, the only time that, that I take a performance hit is if you've got a really, really fast disk, like a RAID 5 disk with you know 150 megabytes per second bandwidth. That's going to be hard to beat, though. And a slow processor. <laughs> so only with that kind of combination do you start to see a performance hit. Because one of the things that Arsync does is it calculates a checksum of the data that it's reading, and then as The processor it, can't read it fast enough. Well, it's not about being able to read it fast enough. It's calculating that checksum, which is, is kind of a compute-intensive task. Uh, so I'm actually going to work on the algorithm a little bit. I think that we can probably get away with a, a cheaper checksumming than MD5. Uh, Carbon copy clone here is from 10.4 up. Uh, was it a conscious decision to kind of uh, leave the pre-Tiger machines behind? Yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, my, that's Apple. The, the Apple does the same thing. So, I mean, it's not like you're kind of on a, a limb there. Apple's left those older machines behind as well. Yeah, what I tend to see among my users is that they're using... Uh, probably 60% of them are using the latest OS. 40, probably 40 to 50% are using this, the second latest OS, and then 5 to 15%. I don't know if I got my math right yeah. there. But I get it, though. But the, So at this point, Tiger users is the smallest number of users using Carbon Copy Cloner. Yeah, and in fact, PowerPC, I see less than 10% of my users using PowerPC. At which point do you drop PowerPC? Apple not already until, has. Yeah, not until the next major version. And one of the things that I want to make clear is like the, the next major version which is going to be substantially different from the current version, um, is, is, it's not like I'm taking version 3 down and deprecating it. What I'll probably do is keep version 3 out there for the, the people who want to continue using it for free and for the people who want to use it on PowerPC. 
Um, there's certainly a lot of things that I can do, though, if I take a, a leopard or snow leopard and forward approach with the next major version. And I'm really looking forward to finally getting to use some of the features of, of leopard, even, that I, I'm not able to implement into CCC because I still support Tiger users. Like 64-bit, a lot of people are like, when are you going to make it 64-bit? And first of all, it doesn't have to be 64-bit. You know, you're not actually going <laughs> to see any right. performance improvement for a disk-bound application. Um, well, once again, that's education, though. Most people think, well, it's 64-bit, so it's just automatically better. Right. Without understanding what that really means. Right. So that, that is one thing that I would like to do, though, for, you know, for various other reasons. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of functionality that Leopard and Snow Leopard provide that I'd like to incorporate into CCC. We have this little game that we play called uh, This or That. I'll ask you a series of five questions, and there's no right or wrong answer. I could say Coke or Pepsi, and you could say uh, Pepsi. So okay. we'll do that in a few minutes. But before we get to that, what is the biggest – is it the, the end user or is it like corporate users that you're seeing Carbon Copy Cloner making such a huge impact? Is it still the – people like me that's just backing up their computers every day, or is it big companies are starting to use your product? Yeah, I'd say it's 2080. Really? Uh, mostly consumers, and that's certainly who I target. Um, but I'm seeing quite a few uh, corporations that are interested in site licensing deals and things like that. So it's, it's definitely on my radar, and um, it's, it's a market that I, I'd like to reach. How much of your time is spent eaten up by just answering feedback, either questions, support questions, and feature requests, and that sort of thing? It really varies. Um, Probably a lot when a new version comes out, I would imagine. Surprisingly, no. Really? Um, usually it, it fixes the problems that people were griping about. <laughs> so it that means you were listening when they were sending you the feedback. Oh, yeah. And, you know, especially the last release has been 100%. You know, people complain that, you know, this didn't, quite work right or the error didn't make any sense and I look at, at what drives support calls to the, to the help desk and I, I try to solve those first so that's and that's kind of the way it should work you know I agree that's, for every one person that reports a problem there's probably 10 to 50 people out there that are having the same problem but chuck the app in the trash instead Yeah. so I, I definitely don't I don't want to lose those people and I want the experience of using Carbon Copy Cloner the first time you open it up to be perfect. So, so far, you you hit that with me. I've never had a problem with the software personally, and nor do I really know anybody who's ever had a problem with the software. It's always highly recommended by me and everyone I know. That's good to hear because, you know, spending it, – it's probably two to three hours a day I spend on the help desk. Mm -hmm. um, I, I very rarely hear on the help desk of – you know, this worked perfectly. There were no problems. And <laughs> I, I do get emails, thankfully, uh, from people that, you know, say, wow, this worked flawlessly. It's terrific. It's the best app out there. Um, but sometimes, you know, when you get into uh, to just doing support for a long time, you start to wonder, good grief, is this working for anybody? Yeah, no, I, can, but I yeah, can't speak it, for everybody, sort of but everybody I know professionally, and I've been doing this for 15 years talking about the mac and, and apple universe everybody i know loves carbon copy cloner they use it all the time and it's the one app that they usually recommend over anything else 
Mm-hmm. Um, what developers are out there that you respect? With which, what titles or what software out there do you use a lot? And you know these developers, and these are the people that you really respect. That you know, here you are publicly. Who who do you dig out there? You know, I'm ashamed to say that I, I'm so not in touch with uh, the developer community for for various reasons, which is actually going to change now that I'm independent. I'm um, going to rule the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I, I've never really been able to, to publicly ask questions uh, of other developers or, or anything like that, like on forums or in the Cocoa Dev forums. Um, and that's something that I want to change. I definitely want to, uh, to get in touch with with other developers and do a different kind of networking that, that I've not really been able to do in the past. I'm really looking forward to the next developer conference when it'll be kind of the first time that I've been on my own. I mean, I presented at five developer conferences. Yeah, but that's different when you're on the other side of the fence. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to mingling, not with the IT people, but with the people who are, who are developing applications. You know, I, this just occurred to me. Um, for the last two years, I'm going to say, all the talk, it seems, when people speak of developers, always seems to be about apps for the iPhone, the iOS developers. Mm-hmm. All the stories that you read and all the trades and all that's always about the iOS developers. Now, here you are a Mac developer. Uh, as far as I know, you're not on the iOS devices on for anything. Um, how, how do you feel about that? Is it kind of like, you know, they're getting all this attention, but... That device doesn't exist. You can't do anything without that de- on that device to develop for without the Macintosh. Right. I feel outnumbered. Yeah. Well, I've, I would imagine so. <laughs> if, yeah, t- in quality, or not in quality, just in quantity. Yeah, certainly in quantity. I mean, you look at the numbers from the number of apps on the App Store, it's, what, like over 60,000 applications now. Um, and- if you discount the, I mean, they said 250,000, but I oh. mean, so many of those are books, ebooks. Oh sure, and sure. I don't even. How do you even count that as an app? Come on, that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of fudging the figures. I think probably oh, it must have been three years ago at w, WWDC. Um, I remember sitting in in one of the intro iPhone uh, development sessions, and it was just packed. It was there must have been fifteen hundred people in the room, and the presenter asked, "How many people here are are new to developing?" new to the Mac platform, and, I mean, it was like 90% of the people in the room. You think it's just a gold rush mentality, though? Because I see all these apps, and don't get me wrong, some are very, very good, and I love my iPad. I think it's the best thing Apple's ever created since the uh, the Macintosh itself. The iPad, just, I love it. Mm-hmm. But how I much do. of that, do you think that's a gold rush mentality? I can get rich in them thar hills. I do, but, you know, frankly, that's what development has always been about. Really? Do you think that? I, I don't I can, know. I've talked to a lot of developers over the years, and the money well, situation never really comes up in conversation much. They never so, say, oh, I, got, I went broke making that or I got rich. It's always about the software and the passion and helping the, the users. developers, I think, are certainly a slightly different class because you kind of have to have a passion for the Mac to be developing for less than 5% of the computer market. Yeah, yeah but that 5% generally pays more money. They do. Per machine than yeah. Windows. I mean, but you, you don't get into Macintosh development if you're not a Mac user first. That's true. I, so, and that's obviously how I started as well. I mean, I, I love Apple's products. They're they're terrific, and I love developing on it. I tried developing on Windows, and 
I would rather bang my head on the desk. <laughs> Any plans to – you've had to have looked at the some sales figures some, from the iOS devices and some of those developers. It's impossible not to. I mean, yeah. I, I know – I know uh, your I, wife I is. <laughs> I've got a acquaintance. Yeah, exactly. I've got an acquaintance who made, um, I think it was like half a million dollars oh. on this this application. That I, yeah. I just remember sitting down with him and, and thinking, you, you've got to be joking me that you made that much money on that application. It, it's kind of like the the people who wrote the first fart applications. Yes. I mean, it's It's insulting, frankly that developers like me work so hard building a product, building a reputation, supporting the product. And the fart guy made more money in... In, in about 14 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But uh, yeah, so th- there's definitely the gold rush thing. I think it's going to... It's a great new platform. It is. So it's, and it's not alone. I mean, you're going to have the Android, you're going to have the WebOS, you're going to have whatever... If Microsoft actually releases a Windows Seven, they just had a, a funeral for the iPad or the iPhone and the uh, what was it? The and for Rim. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that on the news on some tech presses. Kind of embarrassing. Um, it, its mobile platform seems to be the wave of the future, but it it really does seem to me as a Mac fan myself. I'm not saying Apple fan. I'm saying Mac fan. I love the platform. I love the operating environment. I love the community that's been there. Uh, for a very, very long time, and some of my very best friends came from this community. Um, th- there's so many developers doing stuff on the iOS devices now that um, I, I do wonder and I worry, are we still going to get these great apps on Mac OS X? Yeah, and I, I definitely have no plans for abandoning Mac OS X development. But what about joining? Yeah, but what about, I mean, because the skill set that you have that you've learned using Objective-C and all that, is very applicable to iPhone development, exactly. to iOS development. Yeah, so I'm And you're not I'm allergic to money. <laughs> no. It has my attention and I, I I've definitely got plans for, for delving into it. I've already developed a couple apps for my own edification and it it's a lot of fun, you know, seeing your application on this little device that you can put in your pocket. It's definitely a different feeling than uh, building an application that, that runs on your Mac. Which is also a wonderful feeling. Well, I can tell you, I'm not a developer, and I, I, I'm not even going to pretend that I know half of what you said today. But <laughs> I, I came up with an idea for a uh, iPhone app. Well, don't I, say it on the show. No, it's this is this is history yeah. now. And and I wrote a white paper, and I released it into the wild. And then a friend of mine found a developer for me, and he actually made this app. It's called Big Words. Um, he owns it 100 percent at this point. I've he's basically bought me out, mm-hmm. but I didn't, and I didn't even care about the money, to be honest. It's a very simple app. You, you type something and your whole screen goes black and the text is white and it's big. Just it's big words on your phone. Just the fact that the first time I used it, here's an idea I had again, remember not a developer. Um, it was actually working on the device. It's an actual app that other people can use. And it's something that I just came up with one night. That was very intoxicating for me. I got to imagine that. Is it? Do you still get that intoxicating feeling? I do. It's it's an absolutely wonderful feeling to think that, you know, something that I wrote, my baby, is on somebody else's computer. They're tweeting about it. They're talking about it. It's it's thrilling. It's it's one of the the 
the biggest gratifications that I get from the work. Okay. How many uh, Google alerts do you have for carbon copy cloner set up? <laughs> <laughs> Not Google alerts, but I do track it in Twitter. Well, you have to. I mean, it, that's, yeah. it's, that's your business. Yep. All right, let's get into uh, this or that. By the way, thanks very much for answering all those uh, questions. I'm sure you uh, get tired of talking about it sometimes, but I, I don't get tired of listening to your answers because I find development just exciting. I love talking to people who create something just yeah. out of their mind. This It's an idea they had, and it's a real product. And you're making your living by something that you created. Right. And uh, for that, I number one, I want to thank you for making the software because you made my life a lot easier. And I love the software. And number two, congratulations for just doing it, man. I mean, so many people, they talk the talk, but they never walk the walk, and you've done that. Yeah. So excellent. Appreciate that. This is called This or That, No Right or Wrong, whatever you think is uh, fits your personality, your likes, your dislikes the most. The first one is USB or Firewire. <laughs> The timing couldn't be better. Yeah. Um, the, the article I posted literally in a, an hour ago. Um, and I have not read it. <laughs> of course not. Declares Firewire the clear winner. I mean, from a bandwidth perspective alone. What about with USB 3.0 coming out? No, I mean, I, I, I know it's kind of there, but not really. And Apple hasn't built it in any machine yet. Right. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to testing it. Yeah. Uh, Is there any other technology that you see coming up that might replace both of these not really i mean ssd is is probably the one major new thing on on the horizon that i'm looking forward to coming down in price but the, the usb 3.0 i'm not convinced that it's necessarily going to make a huge difference because the bandwidth to individual drives right now is not that much higher than what firewire offers yeah i did a, a simple test with uh, a firewire drive and an a, a drive installed internally. Now, Firewire 400 or 800? 800. 800. Okay. And Firewire 800 was actually faster. Wow. So it, it's hard to believe that, that you're going to get better performance off of a single disk. Now, if you have like a, a RAID device or something like that, you're going to want USB 3 or Firewire or eSATA. So you haven't moved to SSD yourself yet? <laughs> it's all about the cost, man. Uh, and capacity. Uh, when I bought my, my last laptop, I considered SSD, uh, but for the capacity that I needed, it was just like $800. And well, you know, you can, uh, OWC is selling, once again, their, what is it, it's 40 gigs, $99 SSD, and that's with the Sandforest controller in it, so it doesn't oh, slow down. And it's just something that's a boot drive, that's, that's where you do the majority of your work and you have an external hard drive or another internal hard drive in your machine for all your files and the MP3s and all that, that you don't need to have that on your boot drive. Yeah, I maybe. Mean, something to I, consider. I take my, yeah, I take my laptop everywhere, and I want everything on it. Like, there used to be a hack for the previous-gen laptops where you could replace the, the optical drive with well, the hard drive. you still can. You uh, OWC sells that solution. All right, so It's that's called the data doubler. You, you pull the optical drive out, put, say, a one-terabyte drive in the data doubler, and that goes where your internal hard drive is or in the data doubler. And then the other slot, you know, where your current hard drive is or in the data doubler, install the 40-gig, $99 SSD, and you've got the best of both worlds. You've got all the storage capacity you need, and you're running on SSD. And especially if you're on the road all the time, it gets jostled around, Yeah, you know, 
This right, is so solid you, state. You may have sold me there because that's <laughs> – <laughs> that, believe me, I've drooled over the uh, – Well, the we did, we did some speed tests, and uh, we've got these up on video at uh, Otherworld Computing's website, maxsales.com. And I, I was blown away. When we did those speed tests, I, I had no practical working relationship with any SSD. And just watching them in person boot up a standard machine and the one with an SSD, I was like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what we imagined computers were going to be like 20 years ago. Right. And it's that random access time that, that really kicks butt. Absolutely. It's, it's just amazing. Yeah. All right. Back to the this or that. And I'm kind of interested in your take on this one. I know what I know what it was, and I think I know what it is now. But shareware or freeware? Yeah, it's not that not that easy, um, is it? I guess it depends on the app, the value. Yeah. Um, I I have absolutely no problem paying for shareware. I'd be a hypocrite if I did. Yeah, I would think. Um, and you know, it goes back to to your comment from earlier when when you download an application and it it provides value to you you want to provide a way to to give back and i i'm right there with you i there there's lots of apps that i think not a second about sending in a a donation or a or a payment because it it provides value to me absolutely i'm i'm totally with you number 3 out of 5 here skype or ichat you know, I I've used Skype twice, and it's been great the two times I've used it. But um, for for the people that I I keep in touch with, um, iChats, I'd say the clear winner. I mean, I pulled up an iChat session to provide tech support to my parents mm-hmm. and remote built-in screen sharing. Oh, it, isn't that a lifesaver? Oh my it god! Is I was sitting at an airport on a cell modem, <laughs> and my dad called. And I said, well, I'll just launch iChat. And I had his problem fixed in about three minutes. Instead of 30 minutes on the phone, okay, what do you see on your screen now? Right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if Skype can do that. I don't think it does the screen sharing thing. But. Um, I think they have implemented that now, but I don't know if it has the same functionality as the iChat version where it's just like, stop touching the mouse, Dad. I'm, I'm controlling the <laughs> computer yeah. now. Plus, you know, I just, not that I, not that there's anything wrong with it. I don't have any Windows friends. That's so. true. Yep. Um, Skype has better audio quality, which is why we use it in podcasting so much. Uh-huh. Um, I really can't touch it when it comes to that. But when it comes to video chat and, like you said, remote controlling another computer, um, screen share, iChat is the killer winner. So I, I think it really depends on your needs and what yeah. you need it for. Yeah. Second to last, laptop or desktop? Laptop. Laptop. That's- that's a no-brainer for me. So, I mean, what are you using now? What's your what's your main workhorse? I have the latest gen MacBook Pro Ooh. with the matte display. Fifteen or seventeen? Fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah, I don't like the seventeen. It's too big. I agree. And the other ones are too small. I mean, this one, the the high resolution display is is awesome. It's it's almost the same amount of real estate as on my twenty three inch display. Mm-hmm. You went with the so, matte display, though. You said. Yeah, I hate the glossy. Really? Uh, is that just because you're spending times in airports where it's really the overhead lights and the big windows is just too glary? Yeah, or sitting in a car and the sun's over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not doing that that stuff much anymore. 
but still, uh, the, the glare just drives me crazy. It's a beautiful display. Yeah. Do you think that the the glossy display is more suited for like an iMac? Where, yeah, where you could control the lighting. Yeah, you're in the, it's the environment that, you know. Yeah. I have, uh, I've had it both, of course. My current MacBook Pro is the glossy screen, and just the saturation and colors is just, it blows me away. Yeah, it's... And I wish I could have both. Yeah. <laughs> really flip, a flip a switch. Yeah. <laughs> I want the matte display. Hey, you need to write that down, trademark it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, the last one, and I don't know if you have either one of these devices. Well, I'm pretty sure you have at least one. Um, and But if you don't, you probably will within the next few months. iPhone or iPad? I am an iPhone guy. Yeah? Yeah. My wife got the iPad uh, right away, and I've played with it. And it's it's a pretty slick device, but for what I use a computer for, it's a lot more productivity driven, and I, I just can't get any of that work done on the iPad. Not that I can get it done on the iPhone, but with the iPhone, I don't feel like I should even try. Yeah, you're just browsing so, the net, checking a few things, and yeah. yeah. For my mobility needs, the iPad is almost a little too tempting, and then takes it away at the last. Yeah. But uh, the iPhone is a perfect form factor for me. Well, I've got the iPhone 4. um, And on this show, I should tell the listeners out there that, yes, iOS 4.1, I've been complaining about this for a while, (laughs) Mike. So, uh, yes, iPhone 4.1 cured my my sensor issue, uh, the proximity sensor. Oh. And that I was was so frustrated with the iPhone 4, I have to be honest – I wasn't having any of the antenna issues that you were reading everywhere, but the proximity sensor, I was literally muting people and hanging up people while I was talking to them. Wow. And the, it was making my iPhone almost unusable. Yeah. Uh, 4.1 seems to fix it, so that's good. But I have the iPhone 4, and I also have the iPad. And like I said earlier in the show, the iPad is really a game changer. I mean, it, it's to, for me. Mm-hmm. Um Unless I'm actually going to sit down and do work, at which point it's the it's going to be the MacBook Pro or the iMac at home. If I just want to read something, I just want to check the internet, I just want to check my email. The iPad is just a person, perfect device. Browsing the internet, if you do it for like a half hour with the iPad, mm-hmm. it it really it's such a personal experience. It's so much more immersive for me than the iPhone because the iPhone screen is just so much smaller. But that's yeah. my that's just me. I mean, I I think that. It's great that we live in a world where you, we have these choices now. Exactly. It's nice to have both yep. because I don't think either one is going to make everybody happy. Oh, God, no. And, of course, then there's always people like you and I that we end up buying both of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yep. Mike, I want to thank you very much for being on OWC Radio this week. And, uh, again, we do have that you know, utility software bundle at Otherworld Computer Computer Computing and Carbon Copy Cloner is part of that. So if you're listening to the show and you need a backup solution, obviously we want to send you to OWC to pick up a real nice external hard drive. The best way to back up your data, in my opinion, and I know Mike's too, is to use Carbon Copy Cloner. It won't cost you a dime. If you do use it and you find it useful, please donate. It's well worth the money. Uh, it goes to a great cause, and that's further development on to me, essential software. So, Mike, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. 
Thanks for having me on the show. And we'll be back later this week on Friday with the 42nd episode of Otherworld Computing's OWC Radio with a very important announcement. Uh, don't miss the next show because it's probably uh, the biggest announcement I've ever made on the show. So we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.